In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome back, my friends. How in the heck are you? You guys doing well? I'm sorry. Are you ladies and gentlemen doing well? I just thought I would check in and kind of go over some rough terrain known as conspiracies. They're fun, right? It's fun to think about and it's interesting to think about. Especially now when the world seems to make no sense. What the heck is going on in this world, right? Isn't it crazy? It's so crazy to me. From COVID-19 to meat shortages to gas shortages to inflation. Let me ask you this. Do you think that all these shortages, that the inflation, that the instability... Do you think those are symptoms of COVID-19? Or do you think maybe it's part of the plan of COVID-19? What do you guys think? It's so interesting to me to try and decipher what it could possibly be. And that's what I want to cover. There's a lot of information coming out right now about the lab leak theory. Is everybody familiar with what that is? The lab leak theory states that the COVID-19, that the Wuhan novel coronavirus was made in a lab in Wuhan. There was a very funny skit by Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert where Jon Stewart went on stage on a mainstream American news channel and made that claim. He says, isn't it odd that the Wuhan novel coronavirus was found by a lab named the Wuhan corona, no, novel coronavirus lab? You know, when you 
when you just peel back the onion a little bit, it's like, how can it not be that? Like, how much spin does there have to be for us to not look at the facts? Another interesting point that I noticed was that if you want to know what's going on, it's not enough to read the papers in our country. It's not enough to read a right-leaning paper and a left-leaning paper. Because ultimately, those people are the same. You know what I mean by that? Like, people think, oh, all Republican or all Democrat. These are two different parties. Wrong. It's one big party. It's like a magic trick. You know, when you think of David Copperfield or Houdini or David Blaine, magic is based on misdirection. Look here, not here. Look here, not here. Right? It's sleight of hand. It is illusion. It is distraction. And that, to me, my friends, is what the coronavirus is. That's what COVID-19 is. I'll link to some, I, I will link to this interview I saw. It was a gentleman from India. Apparently, India is getting hit really hard right now. And they are working diligently to find out more about this virus. And they had some really interesting panels on there. They had a, a gentleman that came on. It was like a five-person round table. And four out of the five agreed that it was made in China with funding from the U.S. But it gets better. Not just funding from the U.S., but directly from Dr. Fauci and a gentleman named Peter Danzak. Peter Danzak. Here's how they broke it down. There's a military base on the East Coast called Fort Detrick that was working on gain-of-function research. For those of you that don't know what gain-of-function is, gain-of-function is creating man-made diseases that could possibly possibly happen in the future. Deadly diseases. And you might think to yourself, why would anybody make a deadly man-made disease that we don't currently have? Well, the argument is that just in case nature made it, we would be able to have a vaccine. That's one idea. Another idea is that this is biological warfare and that we are desperately trying to create new man-made diseases so we can kill people that we don't like. And the truth is, it's probably both those things. So that's what they were working on at Fort Detrick. And who was in charge of the funding at Fort Detrick was Dr. Fauci. The idea of gain of function was frowned upon and ultimately disbanded by Congress and our government. They said, this is a bad idea. Let's not do it. However, because they had a little bit of time and funds, that's very important, because they had money left over that was appropriated to this research, they farmed it out to the Wuhan lab in China. So they shut down Fort Detrick, 
but they still had funding. So they took all that money and they sent the money over to researchers in China to do this gain of function. And that is where the coronavirus came from. It's a mix of American funding and a Chinese lab. This is basically what the Indian researchers have found. So they, in my opinion, the research they have is a no-brainer. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened, in my opinion. What's even more interesting is the medical research they've done. You know, there's such intelligent doctors and incredibly intelligent people throughout the world. And I found like this Indian news channel, just to be riveting. They went in to talk about how this particular disease was made. And I want to share that with you guys. So the spike protein, think of a ball, like a tennis ball with, you know what? Think of a sea urchin. Have you guys ever seen a sea urchin? It's like a little ball with all these huge spikes coming out. And that's exactly what a spike protein looks like. So the spike protein gets injected. I'm sorry. The spike protein goes into... Well, let let us talk a little bit about how viruses occur naturally before we get into the injections. So the virus usually is contracted into the nasal passage or the mouth, and then that's the upper respiratory system. The spike protein usually stays in that area and can be defeated by the immune system. When it gets into the lungs, if it goes down deeper into your throat, that's when you start getting people who have pneumonia. And that's when you start getting these, these other respiratory issues. So people with asthma, people with bronchitis, they're a lot more at risk than people who don't have those because people who tend to get those two things tend to have an immune system that's somewhat compromised, making it easier for the COVID-19 to get into the lungs. The Indian doctors went on to say that the biological makeup of viruses are in fact like a blockchain. You can see where they've been spliced. You can see what part of a virus is here, what part of a virus is there. And according to these virologists... There is no doubt. There can be no doubt this is a man-made virus. And I know what some people are thinking. Oh, George, what about the paper in the Lancet? What about the seven doctors that came out in the beginning and said there's no way this is a man-made disease? Well, the problem with that is, again, our friend Peter Danzig. This gentleman is responsible for funding the Wuhan lab. He's a virologist, and he also wrote the paper that said it couldn't be man-made. So, at the very least, the paper in The Lancet is a conflict of interests. The very least. At the most, it's an attempt to cover up a biological weapon that was released on the public. That's a possibility. It's a real possibility. It's a real possibility. There is a uh, Luke Montegro. I know I'm butchering that name, but I believe it's something like that. Luke Montegro. 
He is a Nobel laureate in the field of science, in the field of science, specifically viruses. He is a Nobel laureate when it in virology. This gentleman has been making the rounds. He agrees that this virus is man-made. And he agrees that the vaccines, actually, he doesn't call them vaccines. He calls them gene therapy because the mRNA vaccines, be it the Moderna and the Pfizer, as well as the Johnson & Johnson, these are all gene-based therapies. They're not vaccines. They have been emergent. They have been given emergency approval by the FDA, which is different than approval by the FDA. You see, with the emergency approval, there can be no liability. There can be no fault done by the pharmaceutical companies. But what's really, really scary about the vaccines, according to this Nobel laureate, is that what these vaccines, these gene therapies are going to do is they're going to cause your immune system to be hyper vigilant, specifically with coronavirus variants. Does that make sense? So this gene therapy is training your body to attack these specific coronavirus-like variants. Normally, your immune system would work by... See, normally, you would like we talked earlier, you would get the virus through your nasal passage or through your mouth, and it would come from the outside into your body. And that is how the immune system is used to attacking viruses. When you get it from the outside into your nose, into your body, then the immune system knows how to attack it. What the gene therapy is doing is injecting the spike proteins into your body. You see, that's the opposite way. It normally comes, the virus usually comes from the outside in. It doesn't come from the inside out. And because of the size of the spike protein, this gentleman is saying that it's a large spike protein. And because it's coming from the inside, because they're injecting it into your body, it's causing incredibly disruptive problems with the immune system. This man-made spike protein is attaching itself to cell walls. It's attaching itself to uh, parts of the brain. You know, viruses don't normally get into the brain. He says that what you're seeing with, with people who get the vaccines is a lot of blood clotting. Some of them are in the brain, some are in the heart, and that we haven't seen anything yet. He says that within two years, the long-term ramifications of people who got the vaccine or the gene therapy are going to be in a world of trouble, a world of trouble, because their body has been trained to hyper-attack this type of coronavirus. So when next fall, next flu season, 
if there's another, it doesn't even have to be the Wuhan virus. If there's a coronavirus, there's a good chance that these experimental gene therapies is going to cause your body to violently attack itself when it's introduced into a new coronavirus. And the ramifications are going to be horrible. The same Nobel laureate says that the numbers that they are trotting out about people being saved by this virus is complete bullshit. Like, you don't see that guy on TV. You have to look for him. Uh, An interesting question to ask yourself is, do you think that this just escaped the lab? Or do you think that this was released from the lab? There's plenty of evidence for both. Plenty of evidence for both. You know, I think it's interesting to tie everything together. Like if we think about, if we just think about where we were before the coronavirus, there were the yellow vest uprisings in France. There was Syriza in Greece. There was the Donald Trump independent movement in the US. There was the Brexit movement in the UK. There was the riots in Hong Kong. The Mideast, the Middle Eastern Spring. There were people around the world rioting for the end of globalization. There was the middle class rising up and saying, no more. We can't do this. We're getting slaughtered out here. All the money's being kicked up to the global corporations and there's nothing left for the people on the bottom. That's a fact. Now, if we go back in time a little bit, You know, the, the fourth turning or the, the rise of another generation, the Marie Antoinette let them eat cake moments. It's always the middle class rising up and slaughtering, violently murdering the political class and the, the top 1%. It's their greed and their selfishness that lead to the violent behavior of the people underneath them. And that was what all these riots were about. These riots were about the unfair treatment of the labor class, the unfair treatment of the people below the labor class. So if you are the top 1%, if you are the Queen of England, if you are the... Zuckerbergs, if you are the World Economic Forum, if you are the Davos crowd, what do you do? Well, the only way to continue to rule the world you see fit is to slaughter your enemies. Right? If you look at it like they're going to kill us or we're going to kill them, what are you going to do? You have all the money. You have all the resources. You're going to try to kill everybody. That's what I think is going on. I think that you're seeing... I think that you're seeing... A delusional set of world leaders fearing for their way of life and their family's way of life, capturing all the resources and trying to create 
a class of serfs forever while maintaining their status, while maintaining their stranglehold on the resources of the world. That's one way of looking at it. Another way to look at it is that, you know, maybe there's some really, really fucking smart goddamn people, right? And a lot of people at the top have worked their fucking ass off to get there. And they probably think the world's not fair. Everybody knows the world's not fair. But could, could we, as people that have so much, try to make the world better for people below us? I think there's a lot of people at the top that believe that. How would you do it? How would you do it? Well, you would look at the state of the world and say, wow, our politicians are so corrupt. They take bribes from lobbyists and they, they don't care about the well-being of their people. They care about power. So if we could just get rid of the politicians and have the world run by engineers then we could, you know, there's more than enough power. There's more than enough food. There's more than enough resources to go around if we could just distribute them somewhat equally. Right? If we could fundamentally change the design of the supply chains and we could get stuff to people who need it most, the world would be a better place. So I think there's an argument made for for that. You know, I think that if, if we go back to the, like some of the green movement or if we just go back to some of what was happening prior to COVID-19, we can see the, the facts that, you know, there was a push against factory farming. There's a push against oil. You know, there was a push against all these things that were quote unquote environmental issues. But here's something you got to ask yourself. Why are those environmental issues? You know, why do we care about meat? Why do we care about gas? Why do we care about that? Well, the answer is here in the West, like you can get a hamburger anywhere, right? It costs you, it costs you like a dollar or maybe two bucks now with inflation, but you know, that hamburger probably costs 20 bucks, but it's subsidized. And there's a bunch of disgusting factory farming everywhere that's kind of ruining the land and you know, the degradation of the environment because of factory farming is a huge problem. Especially, and here's the kicker, the rest of the world wants to be like the rich Western countries. They want to be able to go get a hamburger somewhere. They want to be able to drive a car. They want all the same things that the people in the rich Western countries have. Right? They want to be industrialized. They want to have these things. They want to have all these benefits for their kids and their families and live the Western lifestyle. But if the whole world did that, then the level of degradation on the planet would be unlivable. So you can't, you can't, just, can you, you can't just go to another country and say, look, man, you can't live like us. You guys have to be slaves forever. Even though that's what we've been doing. We've been doing. I think it's the, like a Malthusian law that says there must always be an underclass that will do the shitty jobs no one wants. Like that's the, that's kind of the foundation of capitalism is like there must be a class of slaves to do the shitty work no one wants to. That is beneath people. I'm not, ju- I mean, I'm not saying I believe that, 
But I'm saying that if you, you know, take any real economic class or you read any books on economics, then that's pretty much a written rule. And those who tell you that's not a rule are dummies. So, if you want the rest of the world to live a better life, that means the people that live in the West have to lead the way. That means we got to do away with factory farming. That means we got to do away with the cars. That means we got to live a more humble lifestyle. And herein lies the problem. It's easy. It's easier to not attain something than to have something taken away from you. Right there was a there was a book I read called uh called uh, it was by it's called Never Split the Difference and it was by the world's leading hostage negotiator. And he spoke a bit about a class at Harvard that he took and they did this, they did this experiment at Harvard where they gave a class comes in and they gave half the class a ceramic mug and the other other half got no ceramic mug. And they wanted people to team up one person with a mug and one person without a mug and they said okay we want you guys to negotiate you know whoever doesn't have the mug should try to negotiate to try to buy the mug and let's see what happens so they did plenty of negotiations and what they found out when they broke everything down some people sold some but more people didn't sell even when offered you know a hundred bucks the people were like nah i like my mug and the teachers wanted to know why. They go, look, we gave you that mug for free. Why, why wouldn't you take the free hundred bucks? And the people said, oh, well, this is my mug now. And I don't want to sell it. So they began to find out that once people have something, economics is irrational. No matter how much money you give someone, they want to keep the thing that belongs to them because they believe it's part of them. And they don't want to give it up. So let's factor that into the rich Western lifestyle. People have people in the West have two cars. They have a house. They have a yard. They have a pet. You know, their kid goes to school. They take a couple vacations. They eat meat every day. They drive their fossil-fueled car. How do you take that away from them without them fighting? How do you take that stuff away and decrease their level of lifestyle. Well, you have to run a campaign of incredible propaganda. You have to scare them. You have to do a lot of nefarious things in order to break down their psyche. And the most fucked up part is that the people that are running this campaign that want to take away the shit from the middle class people are not willing to give up anything of theirs. You see, they have these grand illusions and these grand ideas that in order for us to make the world a better place, we have to take a giant shit on the people right below us, even if they're our countrymen, even if they're our family. we got to steal their shit so we can make the world a better place for everyone. What they don't understand is that if they want to make the world a better place, they should lead by fucking example. But they're not willing to give up their mansions. They're not willing to give up their lifestyle. They want you to give up your lifestyle. Think about people like the royal family or Leonard 
Leonard uh, DiCaprio that fly around their goddamn jets and tell you you're a piece of shit for fucking driving an old car. Look at Al Gore. This dummy has how many, what is his carbon footprint? Like if you just think for a minute about the people who are running the carbon footprint game, think about the people that are lying to you and using the environment as a shield. Like I love the planet and everybody I know loves the planet, but I hate with a passion people who try to hide behind environmental regulations to steal from other people. That's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And most of them say things like, oh, well, we're just doing it to make the world better. No, you're doing it to make yourself better. You lie to yourself about the problem with the planet and then you steal from everybody else. I think that's kind of where we are. Okay, now let me try to tie everything together a little bit. So look at these recent hacks, right? What happened? We, we, there was a hack on a pipeline. Gas shortage. There was a hack on the meat plants. Meat shortage. Like, isn't it interesting that other so-called Russians or other government people are hacking the very things that the climate warming alarmists want them to hack? Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird that COVID-19 is causing small businesses to shut down, but allowing large multinational corporations to stay afloat? Like... That to me is not a coincidence. In fact, I believe that a coincidence is what you get when you don't have all the facts. A coincidence is what you get when you apply a bad theory. You're going to see more hacks. And you're going to see more hacks on the industries that the global corporations want shut down. You see, they're going to try and modify and utilize BF Skinner type techniques to change your behavior forever. It's the hard sell. You know, and what better way to do it than with an invisible boogeyman? Depending on where you are born, there's always an invisible boogeyman. There's the communist. Oh no, the big bad communist. There is the terrorist. Oh no, the communist and the terrorist. Hey, if you don't, if you don't do this, terrorists win. Hey man, if you don't stop eating meat, you're going to kill the planet. Hey man, if you don't take your shoes off, the terrorists win. Hey man, we can't let communism win. You see, these are all invisible boogeymen that have been perpetrated in order to change the behavior of the public through fear. And I'm of the opinion, I'm of the opinion that, you know, there will be like the people getting injected right now with COVID-19 because make no mistake, like these are the people that are the most affected. And let me just, I, I don't, this is my opinion. I don't know, but like, let's say, let's say that these particular gene therapies do cause a violent a violent sort of response to the next coronavirus. You see, people aren't going to understand that. They're, they're not going to think to themselves, oh, 
I got the coronavirus injection, aka gene therapy, and now a new, when the flu season hits, I'm going to be even worse because my body is going to not attack it in the right way. It's going to hyper attack it and attack my body while it attacks the virus. The same people that got this gene therapy are going to get hit hard next year and the following year. And it's going to look, it's going to look like it's another wave of viruses. It's going to look like it's another wave. But in reality, it's because of the gene therapy. You see, they're, they are socially engineering the next wave of viruses by forcing people to take this experimental gene therapy. And it's going to cause those people to be in a worse position next flu season. Why would they do that, George? Well, which one among you? Who among you? Which one among you thinks that the pharmaceutical companies give one fuck about you? All you have to do is like, you know, how about the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks? You know, how about the Tuskegee Airmen? Our world is filled with Mangala's children. You know, science has zero morals. Science wants to try and explain everything and has no breaks. Your country, regardless of where you live, is filled with human experimentation. It's filled with it. It's everywhere. Think about this. Look at the demographics of the majority of Western countries. In America, I'm just paraphrasing here, but I think within the next 20 years, over 50%, it might be 60% of the individuals are going to be over 60 years old. We have no cure for Alzheimer's. We have no cure for, for dementia. We don't have any cure for these diseases that are going to plague our world. And how can you have a vibrant economy when the majority of people in your country are geriatric? How do you take care of them? Not only that, what happens when all those people that are geriatric have all the money? Like they're not spending their money in the economy. Like if you just think about it logically, the populations of the West are aging, getting old. They have all the money and it's going to fucking tank our economy and it's going to make the world a very uncomfortable place for people that are under the age of 30 or 35. It's going to make them almost destitute. So what do you do? Well, we need, some people say that we need to aggressively, aggressively be looking for signs to help people with dementia. We need to be aggressively doing experiments to find out how to cure Alzheimer's. Do you guys know what part of the gene therapy does for this for these uh, mRNA vaccines? Inside the mRNA vaccines is instructions to fold proteins. Folded proteins are also called prions. Prions are what give people mad cow disease. Alzheimer's disease is a form of plaque in the brain that could be proteins that were folded wrong. So I think it's very plausible to say that this large-scale human experimentation on people is an attempt to have an unethical 
hundreds of millions of people clinical trials to try and find cures for new diseases because we desperately need them. I'm not a judge or a jury, but you're going to do clinical trials on hundreds of millions of peoples and ethnicities so that you might find out how to cure a disease? And then you're going to lie to all the people about them? Like, why, why would we do that? Why would we do it? You know, for a long time, it blew my mind. Like, if you look at the, if you think about the generational gap, like baby boomers, like I, my mom, my dad, like they were so fearful of this virus. Oh no, Jesus, it's going to kill everybody. Oh, Jesus Christ, we're all going to die. Oh, 600,000 people in America are dead. There's, you know, there's bodies laying on the ground, like, you know, even my, my neighbor, I, lo- I love my family and my neighbors, but they, the ones that are boomers, they just have this crazy idea of like, you have to get the vaccine, man. You have to get it. I was having a conversation with my neighbor whom I love. And he's like, look, man, you got to get the vaccine. I'm like, why? He's like, what do you mean? Why? He's like, if you get the vaccine, you have a 0% chance of going to the hospital. I was like, talking to myself like I started laughing you know I didn't mean to be rude but I was like what he goes yeah if you get the vaccine you have a zero percent chance of going to the hospital and being on a ventilator I just told him I'm like are you kidding me you have a zero percent chance of that I'm like I I don't I disagree not that's not what I read you know I, I in my opinion like the vaccine aka the gene therapy It doesn't stop transmission. It doesn't stop you from getting it. All it does is potentially, potentially make the symptoms a little bit easier. And that's not even proven. So I asked him, I'm like, where where did you, where did you get your information? You know what all of them do? All of the boomers watch TV. Like that is where the boomers go to get their information. And I don't care if they watch Fox or if they watch CNN. We've already covered that that's the same, it's just opposite sides of the same coin. Both of those dummies, those channels are pumping this vaccine propaganda, this gene therapy propaganda, right? And, and if, here's something everybody needs to know. If you're in marketing, you understand the term target demographics, right? That's, if you target, if you're on Facebook, if, if you market anywhere, You are asked, what is your target demographics? And I can tell you that when it comes to TV, the target demographics for TV are older people, right? There's a saying that says, if you're over the age of 50, you live in 1970. If you're over the, if you're under the age of 30, you live in 2010. See, people that are over the age of 50, they're set in their ways. They get their information from TV their brains are not being used to continue to be plastic. The, the plasticity of their brains is not being utilized. Does that make sense? They're not making new connections. They're happy with the connections they have. They're getting their information. And so the government uses that channel of older people target demographics to hit them with this vaccine. Why? Well, those are the people that are going to be at risk in the next 20 to 30 years. 
So if the virus comes and our our idea that these gene therapy is going to cause those people to die later, well, it's no big deal because the economy is going to be better off because of it. It's going to free up money to go into the economy. It's going to potentially be recorded so that people can find cures for Alzheimer's. You know, that it's a giant clinical study on people the, over the age of 50 because that is going to be a population that's going to drain society. So somewhere along the lines, the decision was made, okay, these people are no longer producing. They are just sitting on money. We don't have social security. They have all the money. These people are dead weight. Let's fucking experiment on them and get them the fuck out of here. They're also the easiest people to scare, right? They're getting their information from a a resource that is controlled by the government. So... These are some of the reasons I was just having my mind blown about this COVID mess. You know, I haven't really got too much into the inflation aspect of it. Maybe I'll save that part for tomorrow or later in the week. But all these things are running together. You know, I think, just in summary, let me say that I think what we're seeing is a a radical effort to step on the working class and lower class of people so that the richest, wealthiest people can maintain their lifestyle. I think we're seeing a radical radical change in the economy. We are seeing an attempt to fundamentally shift supply chains, a technocratic takeover, an attempt for engineers to run the world instead of politicians, which I'm not against, but it just seems silly to me that the engineers don't understand that if they get rid of the politicians, then they're going to become the politicians. (laughs) But I think we're going to continue to see large-scale devastation we're going to see continued hacks on infrastructure, on supply chains, and that the time to prepare is now. Anyways, that's all I got for you guys today. I love you. I hope your day is going awesome, and I appreciate you taking a moment to spend with me. Let me know what you guys think. Put down your comments. Put down a, uh, your ideas, and uh, get at me. I love you guys. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. 
listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.